0: Well, good morning, everyone, invite you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 91, Psalm 91 this morning as we continue our study of the Psalms this Sunday and our study of the Psalms will come to a conclusion at the end of the year. We've been here uh, actually beginning last Advent season, so for a little over a year we've been in the Psalms. It's been quite a blessing for us to go through the Psalms. And uh, beginning next year, the beginning of the year, we will do a study uh, through the book of Galatians. So I'd encourage you, if you want to begin to read through the book of Galatians, you can uh, start on that and be prepared for the next uh, sermon series. Now, today is the second Sunday of Advent. And in the Advent season, historically, that has been the Sunday that we focus our attention on the theme of peace. And rightly so. Because peace is the very thing that the Lord Jesus Christ brings at his coming. He brings an end to all of our warfare and struggle and gives to us fruitfulness, joy, justice, relief, healing and wholeness. The hymn joy to the world says it so clearly. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. At His birth, the angels sing of peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And should we, too, not look in hope to the day when Christ comes and He brings peace to the earth? Yet, how are we to wait for this peace to come when we live in a world with such hardship and uncertainty? How do we have peace as we long for Christ's coming? That is, how do we wait not just for peace to come... But how do we wait with peace? Throughout the history of God's people, men and women of faith have turned to Psalm 91 for such reassurances as we need. For it makes promises of protection and blessing in the midst of battle, disease and hardship. Now, as we read the psalm, I want you to hear the three voices that are speaking. Sometimes these voices and the change of voices are a bit obscured by our English translations. But it's much clearer in the original text. In verses 1 through 2, there is the voice of a faithful servant. Then it switches in verses 3 through 13 to the voice of a prophet who is speaking to this faithful servant, speaking these promises of protection. And finally, it ends in verses 14 through 16 with the voice of God himself speaking his blessing over the faithful one. So hear now the reading of the word of God, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My fortress, my refuge, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A 1,000 may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let us pray. O blessed Lord, who has caused all of your holy scripture to be written for our learning, we pray that you would grant us wisdom to hear Read, learn, and inwardly digest these words that by patience and comfort of Your Holy Word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which You have given to us in our Savior Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we do pray. Amen. Psalm 91 seemingly makes promises That it does not keep promises that have been proven to be false throughout the history of God's people. Psalm 91, as you read through it, promises invincibility, invulnerability, and universal victory to those who are faithful. Yet no one in the history of the world has ever experienced such a state of blessing and of being. For we are all subject to the uncertainties of life. And even the bravest and most faithful soldier has been taken down by a stray bullet. The most health conscious believer has been struck with cancer. The most cautious Christian COVID avoider has been infected and even has died. That is a fact. And it does us no good to avoid these facts when we come to the Word of God. So the question is, how do we take Psalm 91 and its promises summarized in verse 9? That the Most High is our refuge and that there is no pestilence that will come to us. Or in verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. How do we read, understand, and apply a psalm whose claims seem to be so far from the reality that we actually experience in life? Well, the first step in understanding this psalm and the promises that it makes is to understand to whom these promises are addressed. To whom are these promises made? You see, it's natural for us to assume that the promises are addressed to God's people in general. And therefore it makes sense that we would read these promises as though they have been made to each and every faithful believer. Nevertheless, this is not how this Psalm was meant to be read and understood. For the promises of this Psalm are not directed to a general audience. But rather, it was written to a very particular audience, an audience of one, the king of Israel. You see, Psalm 91 is a psalm of protection over the kings coming from the line of David to whom the Lord had made a covenant promise for the Lord said to David, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, your throne shall be established forever And so we have to pause and ask, well, if this psalm is addressing a limited audience, why is it written down for us here in the word of God? And this is the second thing that we have to understand. That as the kings were blessed, the people over whom they ruled were blessed. You see, the king was the representative and the protector of his people. Often the kings of Israel were called the shepherds of Israel because it was in him that care was brought to the people. Militarily, politically, judiciously, economically and religiously, the king led his people. And as it went with the king, it went with his people. Maybe a more current example will help you understand why we would want and be encouraged by a blessing of a king. I think that we would all appreciate a divine word from God that gave protection to our airline pilot. You're flying across country. It would be reassuring to know that God had made a promise to take care of the person who was flying the plane. If the flight attendant came on over the intercom system and said, you may now take off your seatbelts. We have just received a divine word from God that nothing will happen to the pilot today. You can do away with all the safety precautions because we know that we will make it to our destination safely because our pilot has received this word from God. Enjoy your flight. If you knew for certain no harm would come to this pilot I'm sure it would make you quite a bit calmer on your flight. You see, Psalm 91 actually doesn't make promises that it doesn't keep. Rather, it makes promises to one person in particular. And these promises have never failed. The promises that this psalm makes is to the King of God's people. The one who is anointed to lead His people and to bless His people. This psalm was written... First, in a provisional manner to David's sons who sat on the throne in Jerusalem, but it was ultimately written to David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is how we must read and understand Psalm 91 as a prophetic witness to the invincibility and invulnerability of the Christ, the Messiah, the King of God's people. Anyone with eyes can see that godly men and women die. They die in battle. They die by disease. They die by the evil plots of men and the misguided dictates of governments. But Christ does not. For Christ Jesus has defeated all his and our enemies. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism teaches us of his kingly office, that he has defeated all of our enemies. He is one. And therefore, all who are under his rule and care have won as well. For in Christ, we are more than conquerors. We read and we pray Psalm 91, not as a magical shield of protection, but as a reminder that though we are vulnerable to all the uncertainties of life, we can have peace because through our invincible King, we will be saved. And this is how we have peace according to Psalm 91. We trust in Christ's faithfulness. We trust in Christ's victory. And we trust in Christ's reward. Now a line that I have heard pastors in this time of COVID use to encourage their people to return to worship services is that if they are faithful to come to worship, that according to Psalm 91... God will be faithful to protect them from getting COVID. Now, if you, if you come to church and you are faithful in coming to church, then there's going to be a protective bubble over the congregation so that you won't get sick if you come to worship. The problem is that people do and have and will continue to contract this disease in church, even as Christians have contracted diseases throughout the last 2,000 years. As they have gathered to worship. We don't gather to worship here in this place. You aren't here in this place with this, hopefully, with this idea that you'll magically be protected from any harm just because you are faithful to come here. So what is the excuse that these false prophets give to their people as tragedy strikes? Well, inevitably, the answer comes down to faithfulness. You must have some hidden sin in your life. If you were more faithful, if you would not doubt, then you would have been protected Old Johnny, yeah, he got COVID, but, you know, he was like five minutes late to worship last Sunday. And man, he has a mouth on him. Of course, he, was, he wasn't faithful enough. That's why he got sick. You're okay. You'll be fine. If you're just faithful enough, bad things won't happen to you. And this is the trap that we all fall into in this world of struggle and Hardship. We have this naive conception that if I am faithful enough, if I am obedient enough, then I will be invulnerable to this world. But then the stray arrow strikes. Your spouse gets Alzheimer's. Your child is overcome by depression and anxiety. You get diagnosed with Lyme's disease and it changes the whole trajectory of your life. When the terror of darkness comes to your door, and it will, then this poor theology leaves you empty and hopeless and angry with God because you think He's not keeping up His side of the deal or you fall inward and say, man, I must have not been faithful enough. You search and search for where you have failed, where you went wrong. How could I have brought such misfortune into my life? But Psalm 91 is not primarily teaching us how we might be faithful enough Not to have tragedy strike in our lives, but how we must trust in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our King. Look at verse 2 and hear the voice of Christ speaking of His trust in His heavenly Father. It says, and I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. You see, the life of Jesus Christ is a testimony to this truth that he trusted God the Father and was faithful even to the point of dying upon the cross. The Word of God teaches us that in all of his life, Jesus was without sin, that he never transgressed the law of God. It teaches us that he was completely innocent, that he was the pure and spotless Lamb of God, that he was faithful. As the King and representative of His people, Jesus poured out His innocent blood on our behalf. He interposed His precious blood between us and the wrath of God against our sin. And He did this by becoming sin for us so that in Him we might become the very righteousness of God. And therefore, we can pray. And we can make verses 1-2 through of Psalm 91 our own. Because Christ was faithful for us. For as we trust in the faithfulness of Christ, we can confidently say, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. You see, There is a connection between the protection that is promised in the following verses and the faithful proclamation in verses 1 through 2. But on our own, we could never honestly claim perfect faithfulness. And therefore, we could never expect God's perfect protection. But here is the gospel. In Christ, all our faithlessness has been washed clean and all His faithfulness has been accounted ours. To dwell in the shelter of the Most High and in the shadow of the Almighty, we must turn from trusting in ourselves and our faithfulness to trusting in Christ and His faithfulness. For His faithfulness alone was perfect. You see, to wait for the coming of Christ. With peace, you must trust in Christ's faithfulness alone. Now, at this point, you might be asking, well, wait a second. If Psalm 91 doesn't promise me personal invulnerability, what good is it? It would be nice if there was a promise that said, you know what? Nothing bad's going to happen to you. You come to Jesus Christ, you believe in Him, you're faithful, no bad things. Life is just going to be easy for you. And I think we would all really love it if there was something, some magic potion, some prayer that we could pray over ourselves and we could pray over our children. And boom! No danger. But that is not how life works. In verses 3-13, through there are amazing and comforting verses of the Lord's protection that the prophet is directing to the King of God's people. Presumably before a battle. We're going to run through these. So just in your mind, imagine the prophet of God speaking to the king as he is about to go into battle, about to lead his people in battle. We'll run through these verses with a few comments along the way. So starting in verse 3, you can follow along. It says, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. I just notice real quickly the imagery of protection that is given in the picture of a bird providing cover for her young. Right, Wanting her young to come under her wings, that she can protect her young from anything that is coming. Notice also that the terrors and dangers from which protection is given are those things which are particularly beyond one's control. Right, It doesn't matter how good of a soldier you are, no matter how much you have prepared or trained or what you have done, the terror of the dark cannot be seen. The random arrow that flies and strikes cannot be avoided. The disease that comes to you comes to you while you sleep. It continues. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Again, the connection between faithfulness and protection. Because the King is faithful, He shall not fall in battle or by disease. And this section ends in verses that follow through 13. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways on your hands he will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone you will tread on the lion and the adder the young lion and the serpent will tramp you will trample underfoot now in that last verse we see the reason the point of the protection Here's the reason that the Lord will give angels charge over his Messiah, over his king, because it is his call, it is his mission to trample underfoot the lion and the serpent. God will give his Christ protection so that he can win a victory on behalf of his people, so that he can crush the head of the serpent even as he was promised to do from the very beginning. It was the call of our Christ and our King to trust God's protection over His life even to the point of death, believing in the promises of Psalm 91 to the extent that even death would be undone. And so Jesus entered the fray of battle as our King. He warred against sin, Satan, and even death. And on Friday, it seemed that the promises of Psalm 91 were false and that Christ fell with thousands and the ten thousands. But on Sunday, He stood alive. His eyes looked upon His defeated foes. For death tried to take down Christ, but death took on too much when it took on Christ. For no one took the life of Jesus. He laid it down willingly. And when He wanted to, He took His life back up again. And in doing so, he trampled under his feet all his enemies. He conquered all our enemies. And now Christ reigns eternally over a kingdom that will have no end. And his victory is our victory. For Psalm 91 teaches us that we need not fear the uncontrollable dangers of this world. We need not live in dread of random arrows or deadly disease. For Christ has won the victory over all of our enemies. He has overcome everything that could come against us. And when you are joined to Him by God's grace through faith, His victory becomes your victory. And when you are joined to Him, you will receive this protection. You see, there is a bond and a union that exists between Christ and His people such that all that is His becomes ours. Even as the kings of old would represent His people, even now Christ's defeat of death is our freedom from the fear of death. But we must understand, we have to understand this, that this does not preclude us from falling by the sword in battle. Or by dying in a car accident. Or from, a, from catching COVID. It means what Jesus said in Luke 21. Some of you they will put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. It means what Jesus said to Martha when her brother Lazarus lay dead. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Psalm 91 is a comfort to God's people, not because it promises that we will never die, but rather because it promises that all who are in Christ will never truly die. That we may fall to pestilence or an accident or to old age. But if we are in Christ, we will live eternally. His victory is our victory. The ancient serpent Satan himself has been defeated. He is a dog on a chain. He is a viper with no venom. And he may bite and he may blow and it may be painful for a moment. But when the new day dawns, all who are in Christ will be raised. And we will stand with our victorious king. All our enemies at our feet defeated and this should cause us to rejoice and this should cause us to go into the fray of this world of uncertainties with great certainty that though we may die yet we will never truly die because of christ that is how we not just wait for peace to come but we wait with peace because we have christ now It may be the most important goal in U.S. women's soccer history. Those of you who were alive at the time may may remember this. It was 1999, the Women's World Cup final. And regulation had ended in a 0-0 draw. And the U.S. was in a shootout with China to win the championship. After exchanging goals on the first three shots, the U.S. goalie, Brianna Scurry, had turned away China's third attempt. And that is the build-up to Brandi Chastain's famous left-footed shot that sailed past China's goalie to win the U.S. the World Cup. One shooter, one goalie, one kick. And with Chastain's victory, her whole team... And in one way, the whole nation won because of her individual victory. Every time Georgia wins a football game, I feel that I've won. And every time we lose, I feel the weight of that loss because there's some union between me and this team because I went to that school and because I am invested in them. And I know that you, you have your own teams that you cheer for and you love to see win and you think, this is strange, there's some mystical union between me and this team such that when they win, I have great joy and I can go forth with confidence into this world. And when they lose, well. And it's in this fashion that we need to understand Psalm 91. It's not primarily about how we win through our faithfulness but rather how we win through Christ. It's not about our reward. It's about how we partake in Christ's reward. Look at the final three verses of our text. These words are the words of the Father to His faithful, victorious Messiah King. He says, Because He holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him. I will protect Him. Because He knows my name. When He calls to me, I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will rescue Him and honor Him. With long life, I will satisfy Him and show Him my salvation. You see, Christ has won a reward through His faithfulness and obedience. You see that connection in these verses. Because He holds fast to me in love. Because He knows my name. Christ By his obedience and his intimacy of relationship with the Father has earned the reward of honor, salvation, and life. When Christ rose from the dead on the third day, he rose in what the Westminster Confession calls his selfsame body. That means it was his body in which he lived, in which he died. It was really the body of Jesus. It wasn't some different body. It wasn't some spirit that was not connected to his body in any way. It was changed, but it was the same body that that he lived in was the body that rose from the dead. But it was no longer weak. It was no longer subject to disease and death. For he died and he overcame death and he was victorious. It was renewed. And it was freed. And even now, Christ reigns bodily from heaven. Never to age, never to grow tired, to eternally live in victory over all his enemies. This is his reward. Eternal resurrection life. Life invulnerable to disease or death or fear. Life of fruitful, fruitfulness and abundance and joy. A life of eternal peace. And for all who are in Christ through faith, this is your reward as well. Not because you earned it. Not because you deserve it. But because Christ as your King has earned it for you. For all who are in Christ will one day also rise from the dead. He was the first fruits, but we will be the harvest that is to come. Your same body in which you live right now, though it will go into the ground, and though it will be corrupted by death, will be renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you will rise and you will enter into an eternal existence beyond the reach of all our enemies. Salvation. Rescue, no fear, no death, but honor, salvation, eternal life, and peace. To live with peace now, we must take hold by faith of Christ's reward that will come to us at His advent, at His return. Psalm 91 always makes me remember a ruling elder at a church that I pastored in South Carolina named Dave Rilling. Dave Rilling is a Marine. He served in the Vietnam War and he saw some pretty intense action. He never really shared with me many details. He assured me that we didn't need to share these details, that he had buddies that he had lived through these times with that he could hash these memories out with. But he did share with me that there was a long fight in which he was engaged, at least 24 hours of intense fighting, as I remember, in which he and his platoon were pinned down by enemy fire. The details he shared with me were scarce, but I do know that it was Psalm 91 that sustained him through the fight. That in the midst of the battle with real blood, real bullets, real lives on the line, Psalm 91 was upon his lips and in his heart to give him courage to hold his ground, to lead his men, and to make it without one of his men dying in this battle. I wonder, is it right for Dave to pray Psalm 91? Is it right for us to pray and claim the promises of Psalm 91 when we enter into a world of uncontrollable danger, should we pray this psalm to protect us from danger? Yes. Yes, we should pray this psalm. But not because it acts as a magic shield or an amulet of protection over us. It's not voodoo. We don't pray this psalm because it or any other portion of Scripture guarantees that you will make it through the battle of life unscathed or that you won't get COVID and die. But rather as a reminder and as a strength to your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that He has won the battle. And though we die, not a hair of our head will perish. Though we die, we will live. And is this not a much more satisfying understanding of God's Word For we know that this world is filled with uncertainties. We know that we will all fall. It is naive and misguided to tell people to put themselves in harm's way because God promises that they won't get sick and they won't get injured. No, Life is dangerous. There are no guarantees that you will be safe in this world. Following Christ will bring persecutions. Interactions with people will bring diseases. Battles will bring deaths. The world is filled with uncontrollable dangers. And we try with all of our might to control the arrow that flies by day and the pestilence that stalks by night, but we do it in vain. In the end, there is only one who is guaranteed victory over death and therefore you need to flee to Him. You need to find your protection in Him because He alone is victorious and He has proven His victory by rising from the dead. Therefore, in our fear, run to Christ. For we must go into this world knowing that He is our shield. That He is our refuge. That He will cover us with His pinions and under His wings we will find refuge. We wait not just for peace to come, but we wait with peace. Because through Christ, we are indeed more than conquerors. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you and we pray that you would give us true courage, that you would give us true strength in this world, not a naivete that makes us blind to the reality of the world that we live in, but eyes that truly see the reality that in Christ we have victory. Let us walk with such strength and with such peace in this time. And we ask that by the example of our lives and by the word of our mouths that those who have no peace in Christ would see and they would be drawn to His victory. That our friends, that our neighbors, that our family members, that the world would come to know Christ and would flee to Him for salvation. We pray it in His holy name. Amen.